questions to the Prime Minister. Alan Whitehead. Uh, question number one, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, before listing my engagements, this is your last uh, Prime Minister's question and the whole House will have a chance to acknowledge your great contribution to public life in a few minutes' time. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Dr Whitehead. Thank you, Mr Speaker. May I uh, add uh, my appreciation of your kindness and generosity towards myself and uh, uh, many other uh, honourable members uh, in your time as, uh, as Speaker, Mr Speaker. Uh, in view of uh, recent speculation... Uh, could, could the Prime Minister uh, assure me that budgets relating to the support of green energy development and combating climate change will be maintained and enhanced over the next three years? And might he reflect on what would be the ability of the United Kingdom to meet its carbon budget commitments the head. if such funding were cut by, say, 10 per cent? Mr Speaker... We, we committed in the budget an additional $1.4 billion of support for the low-carbon economy. That would not have been possible if we had followed the advice of the opposition party to cut by 5% this year. It would be impossible in the future if we, if we went for plans that have been suggested by the Shadow Health Secretary to cut departmental expenditure the by head 10%. Of a... Mr Speaker, we are for investing in the environment not for using the money for inheritance tax cuts for the very few. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, welcome to Prime Minister's planted questions. Some, 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 Labour, some Labour MPs were a bit confused when they were told about Mr 10%. They thought it meant his opinion poll ratings. <laughs> In our exchanges last week, the Prime Minister read out figures for total government spending after 2011. Will the Prime Minister agree that using the Treasury's own forecast for inflation, those figures mean that spending is going to be cut in real terms? Mr Speaker, I welcome this debate about public spending. I I relish the chance to debate for once policy with the opposition party. And the first thing that he has to confirm is that he is cutting spending this year. Uh, 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 order. Let the Prime Minister speak. That's the best way. We hear what the Prime Minister says. Uh, uh, I'm not responsible for his answers, but just... Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, the first thing he has to confirm is that he will cut spending by 5% this year. That means that vital services will be losing money. So I welcome the debate that we're having in this country. We are investing to get ourselves out of the recession. They would cut and they would make the recession last longer. And they would lead to higher debts and higher deficits that have got to be spent for. As for spending beyond 2011, he knows the truth. He wants to spend less, 10% less in most departments. We want to spend more. Absolutely no answer to the question. And I have to say to the Prime Minister, for the time that Peter Mandelson allows him to go on doing the job, he should at least answer the question. Every year, at every budget, he stood there and read out 
figure after figure for total spending and told us it was an increase in real terms. Now he's standing up there, reading out figures for total spending without admitting they represent a real terms cut. The whole country will conclude that he's taking them for fools. Everyone knows what matters is spending over and above inflation. So let me ask him again. Will he now accept that his spending plans from 2011 mean a real terms cut? If he takes advice from the Chancellor, the Chancellor says they are a cut. Do they? The first thing we're absolutely sure of is regardless of economic circumstances, regardless of employment, regardless of investment, regardless of inflation, they will be cutting expenditure by 10%. Now that, he, he said it last week himself, Tory cuts versus Labour investment. Now let, me read, now let me read the figures for current expenditure. Real current expenditure will grow in every year to 2013-14, not just in cash terms, but in real terms. Capital expenditure will grow until the year of the Olympics. After the year of the Olympics, capital expenditure will be less, but asset sales will make up for much of the difference. So we are increasing current expenditure and increasing capital expenditure up to the Olympics. The unfortunate thing is his proposal is to cut expenditure by 10%. He better now admit the truth. He is cutting expenditure by 10%. It sounds more and more desperate. Whichever way... Whichever way you look at the figures, whichever way you look at the figures, the government cut plans to cut spending. Let's look at capital and current spending. Capital spending is going from 44 billion in 09-10 to 22 billion in 2013. That is a massive cut. Now let's look at current spending. You've got, to exclude, you've got to exclude debt interest and paying for unemployment. That's what the Prime Minister used to call the bills of social failure. And when you do that, current spending is being cut as well. So capital spending, cut. Current spending, cut. Those are Labour cuts. Let me ask the Prime Minister again. And this question will not go away until he answers it. Will he admit that his... Spe- I wouldn't listen to the Honourable Member from St Helens House. He was, he was St Helens South. He was pretty useless when he worked for us, and he's still pretty useless now. <laughs> This question is not going to go away. Will he now accept his spending plans from 2011 mean a real terms cut? What he is saying to us, and I think he better listen to this debate because it's going to go on for many months. Is, yes, exactly, exactly. What he is saying to us is, regardless of growth, employment interest rates or inflation, he is dogmatically set on a 10% cut in most departmental expenditures. Let me read the real terms current expenditure. 603 to 629 to 633 to 638 to 642. What is that but a rise in real terms current expenditure? I've already explained about capital expenditure, about what's happening after the Olympics, but gross investment, real term, well, well, Mr. Mr. Speaker, he hasn't produced one figure yet, and I've just given him the figures that are in the book. 63, 55, 49. And we are going to make up that by the asset sales we've already announced in the pre-budget report. And I have to tell him, I have to tell him that current expenditure will continue to rise in cash and real terms. The issue is that the Conservatives will be cutting current expenditure in real and cash terms. It's exactly what I said. Tory cuts, Labour investment. But what's worse, Mr Speaker, is that they're cutting expenditure so that they can help the few with inheritance tax cut when we're the party of the many. Now let him say that he's abandoning inheritance tax cuts. 
every, every commentator, every economist has concluded the Prime Minister is wrong and looks increasingly ridiculous. Take, just take one. The Institute of Fiscal Studies, Robert Choate, the Director of the Institute of Fiscal Studies, last week said this. Judging from his performance at Prime Minister's Questions on Wednesday, Gordon Brown needs some help to interpret his own Chancellor's budget. Let me take, let me take one of his former Treasury Ministers, someone he appointed to work with him in the Treasury, the Right Honourable Member for Bolton West. She said this. As the budget made clear, the only way to clear a huge debt overhang in the medium term will be to cut billions of pounds from public spending. Why can't the Prime Minister answer this? Why does he find it so impossible to give a straight answer and be straight with the British people? Mr Speaker, I am the person who is giving the House the figures. He has given not one figure to back up his proposition. The The only figure we have had... The only figure we have had is the admission by the Shadow Health Secretary that he would cut public expenditure in vital departments by 10%. And what we will not be doing is cutting expenditure by 10%. Let me tell you what the real terms rise in current expenditure is. And at some point, maybe the Leader of the Opposition will listen. 603 to 629 to 633 to 638 to 642. These are rises in expenditure after inflation has been taken into account. Once again, he's trying to hide the fact that he has got 10% cuts. He is the party of cuts. We are the party of investment. And because he wants to use the cuts to pay for inheritance tax, once again, let's remember, they are the party of the few and we are the party of the many. He is just sinking and sinking. He thinks, he thinks that everyone is so stupid that they will not notice that once you take out debt interest and once you take out unemployment benefit, the departments of all those people will be cut, cut, cut. That is the truth. Why doesn't the Prime Minister just stand back for a moment and ask why he is so distrusted? It's not actually the recession. There's a recession all over Europe and yet no other European leader... The reason he's in the hole he is in is because he is not, it's because he isn't straight with people. We must allow the leader of the opposition to be heard. Allow the right honourable gentleman to speak. The Right Honourable Gentleman. Uh, I don't want a minister pushing his luck. Now behave yourself. The Right Honourable Gentleman. Thank you, Mr Speaker. They shout for half an hour on a Wednesday and spend the rest of the week trying to get rid of him. (laughs) The reason... 
biggest problem is he's not straight with people. He wasn't straight over the cancelled election. He wasn't straight over the 10p tax. He wasn't straight on flying to Iraq in the Tory conference. He wasn't straight over Damien McBride. He wasn't straight about who he wanted as his Chancellor. And now he won't be straight with people about the level of government spending. Won't everyone conclude that if you cannot be straight with people, you are simply not worthy to be our Prime Minister? my last day, the Leader of the Opposition knows that the term you is not something I approve of. Uh, and I think at all these hustings meetings, they'll be saying they don't approve of it either. So, yeah. He's learning all the time. At last he's got a European policy now. A European recession that he now admits. And as far as his last, as far, as far, as far as his last comments are concerned, is it not remarkable he descends back again into personalities? He, ca he, cannot, he, cannot deal, he, cannot deal, he cannot deal with a policy debate. I have said that we are taking action to deal with the recession, and that means that more people will be in work, that means that more businesses will be saved, and that means that more, more help will be given to mortgage holders. We are spending money to take people out of recession. He would cut the money now. There would be more unemployment, more debt, and more deficits. And the Conservative Party have got to face up to their responsibility that they are calling for public spending cuts at the time when every country in Europe and in the rest of the world knows you've got to inject more money into the economy. As for the future, everybody also knows, and I think this is where the serious debate lies, that what can happen depends on growth and what happens to inflation and what happens to employment and what happens to interest rates. And there is good evidence that the proposals that we have put forward are working, whereas the proposals they put forward would not work. And as for the, and as for the future of public expenditure, let's just be clear. I have read out figures showing there's not only cash rises in all our current expenditure in each year, but also real-term rises. He has given us no figure except the figure of his health secretary, which is a 10% cut in public expenditure. The public will remember one thing about the last week. 10% cuts in public expenditure under the Tories, investment under Labour. They are the party of the few. We are the party of the many. Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, why doesn't the Prime Minister understand that character and policy come together in this vital question of answering and telling the truth that public spending will be cut according to his own plans? Isn't what everyone will have seen today is the Prime Minister has drawn one of his precious dividing lines between himself and reality. That is what we've seen. People People know they've got a Prime Minister they never elected, they've got a Prime Minister who can't be straight with people, and a Prime Minister who won't even give 10% of the truth. Mr Speaker, the Leader of the Conservative Party, we've made it clear that a Conservative Government would spend less than Labour. So it's absolutely clear the Conservatives would be spending less, and every time they would be cutting spending on vital services, and people should not forget it. And of course, every time he wants to read out quotes from this person and that person, why doesn't he face up to the policy issue? We're spending 5.5% more on the health service this year. We're spending 4% more on education. We're building more schools. We're employing more nurses. We're building up the health service. We're making the policing in our community work. At every point, the Conservative Party would be cutting these vital services. 
they should go back to their constituency and explain how many police, how many nurses, how many doctors, how many teachers they would cut for policies that are in the interest not of the many, but only in their case in the interest of the few. I'm going to call you Mr McGrady, but you will be brief. You will be brief, won't you? Yeah, Mr McGrady. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'd be brief in saying thank you for your personal professional kindness to me and my party over the very many years within the chair and outside this chamber. Could I ask the right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, who is aware of the fact that devolution to Northern Ireland has not been completed in the absence of policing and justice. This is now a political football between two parties in power, exacerbated by the recent European election. Would he take a personal new initiative to complete that all-important devolution, which is the prerogative of the whole community in Northern Ireland? Yes, Mr Speaker. I think uh, the benefits to Northern Ireland of the devolution of policing and justice will be very considerable indeed. I realise that there are very delicate issues that have got to be dealt with, and I realise that there are conversations to to be had, Uh, but I do uh, recognise that progress has been made with a commitment of the major parties to devolution in in principle, Uh, talks taking place now that I hope will yield results, and I hope it will be not long before we complete the process of of devolution of policing and justice under terms that will give security to every community in Northern Ireland. Nick Clegg. Does the Prime Minister agree with the comments from his Chancellor this morning when he blamed the banks' boardrooms for the recession but refused to fundamentally change the way we regulate them? Speaker, we are changing fundamentally the way we regulate uh, our banks. We are, we are banning them from uh, bonuses at the moment in areas where we have taken over these banks. We are changing the structure of the boards by the way that we are dealing with the, the problems that have been created in this recession, and we are introducing new financial services legislation in the next year to change the structure of uh, regulation. In every area where an abuse has been found, we are taking action uh, to deal with that, and I hope when the legislation comes before the House of Commons, he will uh, support it, because it is the right thing to do. When people make mistakes, it has got to be dealt with, and we are dealing with the mistakes that have been made in the city. Mr. Mr. Speaker, I still think he's trying to have it both ways. He can't just blame the bankers. He can't just blame the bankers and then not change the basic way we control them. He's just passing the buck. I'll tell him. I'll tell him who's responsible, who's to blame for this recession. A government who didn't listen to warnings. A government who let who let the bankers get away with blue murder and even now refuses to separate ordinary high street banking from casino investment banking. Can't he see if he just keeps passing the buck, the only certainty is that this kind of crisis will happen all over again? Mr Speaker, is is it speaking as if high street banks didn't fail or investment banks didn't fail? Both failed. Both failed. The The truth is that both failed and we've got to deal with that. So the solution is to have better regulation and better supervision. It's actually about cross-border supervision at a global level as well. It's about bringing in those countries that have been outside the scope of supervision and regulation. That is what the G20 was about, to bring them all into the regulatory and supervisory net. To be honest, I think he actually supports what we're doing, but can't bear to say it. Is my right honourable friend aware that despite, despite all the promises, the Lloyds Group of, uh, of banks is, tr- is planning to decimate jobs in Yorkshire and take them down south to Peterborough. Could he talk to the management of the Lloyds to Group 
urgently and point out that we are major shareholders in that bank and expect better standards than this. Well, I'm very happy to talk to uh, Lloyds. Uh, Lloyds made promises at the time that they took over HBOS about what they would do to safeguard their employees, and we'll look at that in the context. Any jobs to be lost or to be regretted, and we'll do everything we can. Tom Brick. The Prime Minister will have satisfied virtually nobody with his uh, private inquiry into the war in Iraq. He does, however, have the opportunity to satisfy one family, the Al-Siraj family. Mr. Al-Siraj is detained in Camp Cropper in Baghdad. He is the husband of a constituent of mine, Shireen Nasser. Would the Prime Minister talk to the US authorities to try and secure a release date for Mr. Al-Siraj? He's raised this uh, case uh, with me. I shall look at what he says and I shall write to him. Include. Would the Prime Minister take the opportunity to condemn the appalling racist attacks on Romanian families in Belfast? Yeah, yes, yes, indeed, and I hope that the authorities are able to take all the action that is necessary to protect them. John Randall. Mr Speaker. Can the Prime Minister confirm that the Department of Transport has been complying dossiers on the opponents of the third runway at Heathrow and been handing it over to the police. And can he find out whether there's one on me and on his honourable friend from Hayes and Arlington? Mr Speaker, I know nothing uh, about... Uh, uh, we, we know... We know... Uh, 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 any, allega any allegation he makes will, of course, be in investigated. Uh, but uh, this is not something that has been drawn to my attention. As far as the Heathrow's expansion is concerned, it is a contentious uh, issue, but this House has voted on the matter. Henry. Uh, Mr Speaker, my right honourable friend will know that the Lancashire Police Constabulary is the top-performing police force in the country. Yeah. Uh, burglaries at a 27-year low, yeah. vehicle crime at a 20-year low. Yep. Uh, the number of police officers, PCSOs, special constables and staff have increased by 1,400. That's 30% yep. since 1997. Can my right honourable friend tell me uh, what impact on staff, on crime, a 10% cut in policing will have in Lancashire? Yeah, yeah. Mr Speaker, it could involve about 15,000 police being lost, and I think that those people who advocate 10% cuts in the Home Office have got to face up to the consequences. It will mean less policemen on the beat, it will be less neighbourhood policing, it will be less protection in crime. I notice that members opposite are not worried about a 10% cut in police. I think they will hear from their constituents if that were ever to happen. Robinson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Has the Prime Minister any level of concern about the expressed intention of the Chief Constable of the PSNI to axe the full-time police reserve in Northern Ireland? Does he recognise that there is a heightened level of dissident activity and that the Chief Constable is leaving his job? Is this not a decision that should be left to the new Chief Constable? Committed, I think he will recognise additional resources to dealing with the problems of the dissident uh, groups in Northern Ireland. Uh, I spoke to the former Chief uh, of Police in Northern Ireland at exactly the time of the incidents. We promised him the resources uh, would be there to deal uh, with the problems that were arising from uh, the actions of the dissident groups, and I assure him that none of the security of the people of Northern Ireland will be put at risk in any way. Um, thank you, Mr Speaker. May I thank you for your kindness over the years and wish you well. Knives, age-related games and uh, alcohol were all bought online recently without any checks by a 16-year-old acting for Greenwich Trading Standards uh, from Debenhams, M&S, Argos and other stores, even though his card was registered with his real date of birth and address. 
Will my right honourable friend uh, look to extend the provisions in the Gambling Act that restrict and have simple checks on age so that our young people do not get easy access to knives and other age-restricted goods uh, in accordance with the recommendations of the children's charities Digital Manifesto on Internet Safety. Uh, I know about the, the document that she's uh, referring to, and she may know that yesterday we published the Digital Britain document, and that set out the state steps that the government is taking to ensure the online uh, safety of children and the ways in which the government will continue to support further action uh, against, uh, 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 from, from the industry against these practices. Uh, the UK Council on Child Internet Safety has also been set up by us, and I think she'll know that it's looking at these issues. Yes, Robertson. The Kalman Commission reported this week that the Scottish Parliament should have additional limited powers. The First Minister has offered to test this together with independence in a referendum. Does the Prime Minister agree that the people should have their say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm sorry the SNP are not supporting the Kalman recommendations. The Kalman recommendations give a new basis on which the Union can move forward. It gives a measure of devolution that will allow the union to be safeguarded for the future. The difference, the difference between us and the Scottish National Party is they want complete independence. Uh, all evidence is that the people of Scotland don't. John Wallet. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I thank you personally for your kindness? On policy, can I say to my right honourable friend that my constituents are nervously awaiting the outcome of the Learning and Skills Council review of the Building Colleges for the Future? And on policy, we need that money. Will he give some reassurance that when the review takes place, our government will make an imminent decision and that he will take account of our commitment to urban regeneration in Burslem and also to the university quarter in order that the full amount can be there for the campuses in Calden and on the Burslem site? Well, Mr Speaker, in the budget we announced an extra £300 million of capital spending for further education colleges uh, to meet some of the demand that has arisen from the number of colleges that wish to expand and wish to build uh, a new uh, facilities uh, on their campuses. Uh, we are looking at the, uh, uh, the, all the projects. The LSE has talked to the principals of uh, all colleges uh, this, this month. We are hopeful of announcing these projects that will go through uh, to the next stage as soon as possible. Lee Scott. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Yeah, 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 yeah. Could the Prime Minister tell the House if the government have received any informal briefings from Damien McBride? Uh, I have not. Under oh. McKinley. I'd like to ask the Prime Minister about a modest constitutional innovation. Will he invite the House of Commons to amend its standing orders? to allow senior ministers who are in the House of Lords to come to this dispatch box and defend their stewardship of their departments and to pilot through legislation of which they are the principal architects. Can I tell him that even the most senior junior minister doing it will on occasions be nothing more than a superior parrot unless we have this change? Mr Speaker, we have a strong team of ministers in the House of Commons perfectly able to answer questions and carry out debates in the House of Commons. But if he has proposals for constitutional innovation, perhaps he can put them forward to the committee chaired by the, uh, the, the member for Cannock Chase. Paul Bustle. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, this week is National Elder Abuse Week, and uh, according to the government's own figures, 5,980 older people are the victims of elder abuse every week in this country. Will the Prime Minister look at the need for legislation that has been argued now in a government consultation where the overwhelming majority of organisations said it was necessary, not least when 5,900 of those people every week 
go unprotected, unreported, and those who commit the assaults go unpunished. Is it not time for legislation? Will he meet me to discuss it? Yeah. Well, any, any abuse of the elderly is completely uh, unacceptable. I hope that the criminal law will protect them. I hope that the regulatory framework will be such that we can give the protection that is necessary. We will continue to keep that regulatory framework under review. In this week, uh, which is uh, noting the amount of abuse of the elderly, I think it's right to say that no citizen should be engaged in anything that puts the dignity and security of elderly people in our country at risk. Emily Thornbridge. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I heard a phrase recently, Mr Speaker, that I wondered if my right right honourable friend might be able to explain. It's It's a phrase which says, play the ball and not the man. As an an ex-rugby player, perhaps you could explain what it means and perhaps its application to Prime Minister's questions. Mr Speaker, it means means that uh, for only a few occasions in the last year uh, has the Leader of the Opposition managed to raise questions about policy. We welcome this debate about policy. It will be held in the country over the next few months. We will show, we will show, we will show, we will show that we will safeguard the health, education and public services of this country against 10% cuts by the Conservative Party. Will the Prime Minister join me in commending the work of the Chernobyl Children's Charities, who bring thousands of children over from Belarus every year for recuperative holidays? Will he explain why the Home Office has decided, however, not to give free visas to the Chernobyl children from the north of Ukraine, who are actually suffering worse conditions than those from Belarus? And will he meet me and a delegation of the charities to discuss this important issue? Mr Speaker, I know know he's raised this matter on many occasions and he's taken a very deep interest in this. And I know also he's held uh, an adjournment debate on this uh, very, very matter. Uh, He's raising questions about the Home Office and what they can do to help Uh, I suggest that uh, he uh, may ask for a meeting with the Home Secretary, and I'm sure the Home Secretary will be happy to meet his delegation. Thank you very much, uh, Mr Speaker. My right honourable friend may know that I have in my constituency three of the five biggest energy users, and they are very concerned about the increasing level of energy costs. What steps is my right honourable friend doing and the government doing to protect them against excessive profits, as has happened before, by these energy companies? Well, Mr Speaker, I think everybody is concerned about the 50% rise in oil prices that we've seen over the last uh, few weeks. From a time when the oil price was $150 and then went down to $30, it's now gone up to $70. And that means it's very difficult for energy companies uh, in this uh, country, but also very difficult for consumers uh, and very difficult when we look at future gas and electricity bills. Uh, I believe that the world has got to look at what it can do to, to make sure that supply and demand in oil is far more in balance and therefore we can keep oil prices under control.